Oh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Really glad to, to see you guys. Um, today we're going to be wrapping up our series that we've been leading up to this day, to Christmas Service Day. Uh, we've been looking at Jesus as the Savior of the world. And so today we're going to ask this question, why Christmas? Okay, so why do we have Christmas? Okay, so to look at that, we'll look at this passage in Luke chapter 2. Okay, in Luke chapter 2, speaking about the birth of Jesus, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Curius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from there to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave uh, birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no uh, guest room available for them. So when we look at this passage, um, it gives a little backdrop into the birth of Jesus. So first thing we want to recognize is that there's a census happening. Okay, and this is actually really significant because when they have the census, so Joseph and Mary actually, um, we can look at the map right here. They're up in the, the northern part of Israel, so they're up in Galilee in the pink. Okay, so they live in the pink area. But because they have a census that they need to travel down from the north all the way down to Judea to Bethlehem um, in the south. Okay, so the, from the north up there in Galilee all the way down to Judea is about 90 miles. Okay, so they're going to make this trip of 90 miles. Okay, now if you think about the situation, Mary is nine months pregnant. Okay, she's just about to give birth. And they're going to go and take this trip all the way from up there, 90 miles down here. There's no car, no airplane, no, no kind of travel. They're riding, walking, they're riding on a donkey. So more, most likely Mary is riding on a donkey all the way from there, all the way down to here. Why is this significant? This is significant because, and we talked about it before when we looked at Jesus' genealogy, is that some things about Jesus' birth were actually predicted a long time ago. Let's look at this passage in Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, through though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Okay, so when we look at this passage and we look at it in Micah, that Jesus' birth was already talked about. And very specific details were given about Jesus' birth. In this case, where he was going to be born. What city was he going to be born? He was going to be born in Bethlehem. Problem. They're not in Bethlehem. They are in, up there in Galilee, up there in the north. They're not in Bethlehem. So what does God do? God uses this event in history to make this prophecy come to fulfillment, right? He uses the census, right, by this Caesar who doesn't know God, who doesn't follow God, who doesn't believe in God, yet he's going to perform a census for the first time in this area at this time, right before Jesus is being born. And Jesus, 
Then uh, Mary and Joseph had to travel down 90 miles down to the city. We can see and give confidence in the thing that all of these things were predicted well before and completely out of Jesus' control. Jesus has no control of where he's going to be born. But yet we see that he was born not in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, just like Micah had predicted, just like God had shown in this prophecy. So this is the backdrop. This is the backdrop to Jesus' birth. Okay, so this is all kind of happening during this time when Jesus was to be born. But the question I want to ask today is, why do we even have this? Why do we even have Christmas? Right? If you think about like the two biggest occasions in our faith and, and the celebrations that we have, it's Christmas and Easter. Right? Those are the two big ones, Christmas and Easter. Okay, and we think about why Jesus came, it has more to do with Easter than it does Christmas. Why did Jesus come? He came to earth to die for us, to die for our sins, and then to be raised again from the dead. When you think about why Jesus came to earth, it's because of Easter, not Christmas, right? And when you think about this, when I think about this occasion, it's like Jesus came uh, for the purpose of Easter. So if, like, if Jesus was talking to God the Father and God the Father was saying, like, Jesus, you're going to go down. You're going to go down and become a man. You're going to go down and you're going to die on the cross, and you're going to, but I'm going to raise you again on the third day. He said, oh, but you don't, you don't have to pack a lot. You could pack really light because you're going to go on a Friday and come back on a Sunday. It could have happened like that, but that's not the way it happened. Jesus came and was born as a baby. And like I said, God could have done it any different ways. When you look at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they were never born. They were never born like you and I were born. They were never infants. They were born as full-grown man and woman. Jesus could have came like that. Jesus could have came fully grown. He could have come for the purpose of dying on the cross and being raised again from the dead. He could have just been here for a long weekend. He could have just come like that. Why did God have it this way? Why did he predict hundreds of years ago that Jesus was going to come being born as a baby? Why Christmas. I was thinking about this, and I think that there's a few different reasons why I think that Jesus was born as a baby. I think one, you know, we see some babies here. It's like babies are very disarming, right? Very, no one is afraid of a baby, okay? So like when you see a baby, it just kind of drops all your defenses, right? And you come and you want to like be with, even like the toughest, most fierce kind of Tattoos everywhere, like really rough-looking person. When they see a baby, oh, they'll go like that to the baby, right? It's just so disarming, right? And I think that's purposeful, right? When you think about God, you think about him in justice, you look at God of the Old Testament, it's very fearful. But I think God coming as a baby is saying something. That he wants us to not only understand his justice, but also his love. That he's approachable. That he's not something to be feared. He can, we can actually enter in his presence. And that's why Jesus came as a baby. When we look at Jesus coming as a baby, uh, Jesus went through all the stages that we went through. So to be able to identify, Jesus was a baby. Jesus was a toddler. 
Jesus was a child. Jesus went through puberty. Jesus was a teenager. Jesus was a young adult. Jesus went through all the life stages that we experience. I think that's important. When if you look at Jesus and look only at the end of his life, then you realize what's the purpose of the other 33 years? What's the purpose of all that time where Jesus was here on earth? We don't have a lot written in the scripture, but we have to understand this, is that I think the reason that Jesus came to earth and lived all of those years as he did on earth was for our benefit, was for us, so that we can experience and understand that he experienced the things that we went through. He experienced all the things that we've gone through in our family, like we had talked about when we looked through the genealogy, is that there's a lot of dysfunction in Jesus' family line. There's Sure, there's a lot of dysfunction in his own family, like what he experienced with Mary and Joseph and his brothers. You know, when we look at the, the parents of Jesus and we look at them, I'm sure they had parental conflicts. I'm sure he had conflicts with his parents. Can you imagine how hard it would be to parent Jesus Think about that for a second. You're the mom and dad, and you, your son, your oldest son, is Jesus. Sinless Jesus. Never making a mistake, Jesus. You look at some of the commandments in the Bible. He, he didn't violate one. One of the commandments is honor your father and mother. He never sinned. He never violated that command. He never dishonored his parents ever. Think about that. Think about all the interactions that we have with our parents growing up, all the things that we did before we even knew any better, before we uh, were able to think clearly. He lived that way. But yet, I'm sure it was hard for them to parent Jesus. How do you parent the Son of God? How do you parent someone who's going to be the Messiah? How do you parent that person? But that's what they dealt with. That's where Jesus had to have, I'm sure, some some conflict with his own parents. How about his siblings? Can you imagine Jesus being your brother, right? They're always like compare siblings, right? So I remember even like, I have very vivid memories of like growing up and you know, like my aunts and uncles would come over to our house and all the adults would be talking in one room and then me and all the cousins would be like in another room. And then you like hear though what's going on, right? And my Korean is not good enough to like understand the conversation, but then I'll hear my name, right? You're like. Oh, they're talking about me, right? I'll hear my name, and then I'll hear my cousin's name, and then I'll hear the school he got into, and then I'm like, oh, I know what's happening. I'm getting compared to my cousin, right? And you might have experienced this too, where you get compared to family members, compared to your brother or sister. I know my sister shared this to me, and I've heard this of other like younger siblings too. Like when they went to school and they had the same teacher you did, what did it, what a lot of times happen? Oh, you're Sam's sister. Oh, you're so-and-so's sister, so-and-so's brother, right? And you go through that comparison. But I think about Jesus and his brothers. How do you like it if your brother was Jesus? How do you like getting compared to him all the time, right? And I could just imagine like them growing up and the brothers being very upset very jealous. Imagine like, it's kind of like what I imagine like Joseph in, the, in Genesis when, you know, he is telling his brothers about all these dreams and he has his coat and he's, he's the father's favorite and all the, all the brothers are all jealous of him, right? And then eventually sell him off into slavery. That's what I imagine Jesus growing up with. 
That's what I imagine Jesus experiencing with his brothers. That his brothers, they didn't believe in him, right? In fact, two of his brothers end up writing two of the books in the Bible, but at the time when they were with Jesus, they didn't believe in him. The Bible is clear. They didn't believe he said who he was, who he was not, who he said he was. And that's what Jesus had to grow up with. They had to grow up with Jesus being the favorite. And, you know, as parents, we try not to have favorites, right? So with my, my two kids, I try my best not to favor one or the other, right? I want to love them equally. But let's be honest. If one of your siblings is Jesus, he's going to be the favorite, right? He's going to be the favorite. So I'm sure he was the favorite, and I'm sure that caused conflict in his family. He went through conflict. He experienced all the things that we went through. Look at this passage here in um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, we, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When we look at this uh, passage in Hebrews, it makes it really clear that Jesus experienced the things that we went through. He experienced all the negative things that happen in this world. He experienced all of the temptations that we experienced, all the different thoughts and feelings that we experienced. He under I be able to identify with all of these different things. So when we go through those things, and I think I'm just thinking about this past couple years, right? And you know, it's, I think all of us were kind of the same in March 2020 when kind of COVID hit and they had the lockdowns and all these different things. You know, I had a trip, my family had a trip planned for Korea in June of that year. And when March happened, I felt like, oh, that's several months. No problem. You know, we're going to be able to go to Korea. This is just going to just all pass away. We're going to be in quarantine for a little while. And then I look now, almost at the end of 2021, it's still happening. It's still happening. You know, I was just talking with someone this morning about how, you know, um, their, their uh, daughter came back from college from the East Coast and brought COVID. She had, she had caught COVID and that uh, the family realized that what happened and so they couldn't come to Christmas service. You know, and I just thought, gosh, when is this going to be over? You know, I just feel so much fatigue right? And you might feel that too. Like as much as we want to focus in on the blessings, and there are, there's tremendous blessings that God has done during this time in spite of this time, but it's tiring. You know, it's, it really is tiring. And I feel like the things that have happened the past couple of years have really stirred stuff inside of us, you know, and it's, it's not easy doing that. It's not easy trying to address the things that are happening inside. It's not easy trying to address the things that are happening in our relationships because of what's going on, because of things that might got of like hidden away and you didn't really need to recognize or need to address. You need to address. And it's like in your face and you can't hide from it and you can't really uh, turn away from it because it's so prevalent. Really things that are happening in our family, things that are happening in our relationships, things that are happening with the people that we love. Those things are coming out, you know, and it's been a long time of that. You know, I can handle it for a certain season, but after a while, it gets very, very tiring. 
But when I look at what Jesus experienced, he experienced all of this. Hebrews chapter 4 says that he experienced all of the negative thoughts, all the negative emotions, all of the temptations to be angry, to be frustrated, all the temptations to be depressed or to be angry or to be impatient. He felt tempted to do all of those things. That's what the reality of when we read Hebrews 4.15 says, when it says we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us, who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, all the things that we feel incapable of doing and the weaknesses that we're experiencing, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Why was Jesus born? Why didn't he just come as a full-grown man and to go to the cross and to die? Because of this. Because of us. Because he wanted to have someone uh, I'd be able to identify with. When we look at Jesus, he's not someone distant and far away. But he relates to us. He understands what we're going through. And when we're going through hard times and difficulties, when we go and feel worn out and tired, and we feel like wanting to give up, that's okay. That's okay, that Jesus felt those same kind of thoughts and feelings. He felt those same kind of things himself, that he also felt that way, that he also experienced that to the fullness. It wouldn't be a temptation if he didn't really feel it. Is that true? If he didn't really feel that and experience that, all the same feelings and the thoughts that we have, it wouldn't really be a temptation. It wasn't just like he looked at that and said, like, oh, you know, I, I'm really God, so that's not really tempting to me. I don't really feel any of those things or think any of those things. That's not true. He thought and felt all of those things. Otherwise, it would not be legitimate. It would not truly be a temptation. It wouldn't be a temptation to be angry. It wouldn't be a temptation to feel frustrated. It wouldn't be a temptation to feel anxious. It wouldn't be a temptation to be fearful. It wouldn't be a temptation to feel like giving up. It wouldn't be a temptation to feel depressed. It wouldn't be a temptation if any of those things were not real. It wouldn't be a temptation if he didn't really engage and fully experience all of those things. Why did Jesus, why do we have Christmas? Why did we have Jesus come here as a human being and live all of these years on earth? It's because he wanted to experience the same things we experience. He wanted to go through the same things that we went through. So that when he died for us, he really died for us. He died for everything that we went through. Everything that we're going through. Everything that we will go through. That's what he died for. That's what he experienced. That's what he knew. Not just in his head, he experienced it. But I think in addition to being able to identify us, let's look at the last part of Hebrews 4.15. He empathizes with our weakness, and we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. I think the other thing that we can see about the life of Jesus is not only that he experienced weakness, not only did he experience temptation, not only did he experience all this, but yet he overcame it. Yet he didn't sin. He felt tempted to do that. He felt tempted to be angry. He felt tempted to be impatient. He felt tempted to have all of those thoughts and emotions. He felt tempted by that, like we said. But it wasn't the final word. It wasn't the final word. 
And I think that's what we can receive from Jesus being here, being our high priest, being our intercessor, being the one who came for us, being the one who lived here on earth as we did. I think this is what we can take as well. Not just the fact that he can relate to us and sympathize with us, but that he can help us overcome. He can help us overcome. He can help us overcome anything we've been through because he's been through it as well. He's experienced all of these temptations, yet without sin. When we look at Hebrews 4.15, I think this is, gives us a good insight to why we have Christmas. This gives us good insight into why we have Jesus come and be a, a human being, why he's here on earth. It's because he wants us to truly believe and to acknowledge this. He experienced all those temptations, yet he overcame everyone. Everyone, no matter what it is, no matter what it was, no matter what you were going through, he overcame that. He overcame that. That was the purpose of why he came. So not only that we can feel like a closeness or a connection with Jesus through our suffering and through the things we went through, because we do have that. We do have that connection and intimacy with Jesus because we experience the same things he did. But also to not stop there. We also have his power. We also have the things that he brought for us. We also have those things too. That we experience the power that Jesus had to overcome temptation, to overcome these things, to overcome the difficulties, to overcome that. We have that too. That's why Jesus came too, to give us that sense that we can overcome just like he overcame. We can experience that because of Christmas. We can experience that too because he came as a baby, helpless, dependent, can you think about that? The son of God being dependent, completely dependent on his parents, completely dependent, completely uh, really at the wits of all the people around him. But yet he showed a way to overcome. He showed us a way that we can experience this life. It's because of Christmas that we have that, that we can overcome anything that we've come across. Anything that we experience, we can overcome that too, because Jesus did. He faced them all, yet those things did not have the final word. He felt it, he felt the strain, he felt all of that stuff, but yet did not be overcome. He was not overcome, he did not sin. So I think when we think about this, there's a couple things to kind of take away. One is, don't be surprised when we face negative things. And I think this is one of the things the Lord was speaking to me is like when negative things come, negative emotions and negative circumstances, negative feelings, when they come, it oftentimes it surprises me, right? And I kind of get hit back by it. And it really discourages me at times. And I get frustrated by it at times. And the Lord was really speaking to me is like, why do you expect there to be that, that you don't have these things? Look at my son. My son was not exempt from these things. If you think anybody should be deserving of to be exempt from these negative circumstances, it would be Jesus. But yet, Hebrews 4.15 says, he experienced all of them. He wasn't exempt, exempt from any of them. Any of the negative circumstances. In fact, when I look at that, if that's really true, what the writer of Hebrews says, he probably experienced way more than any person did. We ourselves, we don't experience everything. I don't experience every single kind of temptation, yet Jesus did. He experienced not only the normal amount, 
but way above that. If Jesus is not exempt, then why do we think we will be? We can't be discouraged or be surprised when we face negative things. It's okay. Jesus had it too. It's normal in this broken world. Now, but having said that, I will say the second part, which is, but he showed us the way to overcome. And really, the way to overcome is the way that Jesus overcame. It's because he was connected to the Father. He lived life as we did. He lived life as a human. And so how did he overcome? The same way that we overcome is we need to be connected to the Father. You know, and as this year is ending and we are getting close to turning the page, and I think a lot of us are grateful for turning the page too, I think it's helping us to just get reminded we need to keep our focus. It's a chance, I think, when new things are coming to get reset. And we'll talk about that more actually next week as well. But for us to be able to focus in on what's really important. We need to get connected to the Father. That's the way Jesus had power to overcome everything that he went through. Everything that he experienced that we experienced, we can do that too. But we have to do it the way he did, which is being connected to the Father. Let's pray. So we want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you that it didn't have to be this way, but you made it this way. You planned it this way. For Jesus to come as a baby, for Jesus to have a human experience, for Jesus to go through everything that we've gone through, and probably more. It's for us to be able to know that he empathizes with us. He understands what we're feeling. He understands what we're thinking. But he also wants us to overcome. He also wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to experience Romans 8 that says we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors over anything the world could bring. That we can do that because we have Jesus interceding for us. We can do that because we have the Lord who's God over all. He is our Lord. He is our Father. So we pray that we'd be able to receive that this Christmas. Receive the gift of Jesus. Receive all that he has and all that he gives. Pray all these things in his name. Amen.